1: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey,
0: welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in to the show. Great guests today. They're all Great. Dr. Paul White is on the show, and this was exciting for me because I didn't realize this individual lived in the same town, that I do, so I'm excited to establish a relationship with Dr. White, and I was introduced through a mutual friend, and it's amazing to see, you know, there's so many great individuals that are out there trying to, who are passionate about leadership, who are trying to make this place a better as I, you hear me say, make the campsite better than you found it. Dr. Paul White is definitely one of those guys. He's a like psychologist. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a consultant who makes work relationships work. That's what he's passionate about. He's been interviewed by Bloomberg, CNN, Fortune, Entrepreneur.com, Fast Company, Fox Business, Huffington Post, U.S. News & World Report. He's been around. He's a speaker, trainer, he's taught all around the world. North America, Europe, South America, Asia, Caribbean, all over. He's worked with companies like Microsoft, Coors, NASA, ExxonMobil, DirecTV, on and on and on. This guy's the real deal. He's the co-author of three books, including the one we talk about here exclusively on this show, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. He partnered with Dr. Gary Chapman. You may have heard of that name before. It sounds familiar. If not, you've certainly heard about the book. The number one New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. That's what Dr. Chapman wrote. So Dr. White partnered with Dr. Chapman and wrote this book, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. It's, it's fascinating. He just sent it to me. I didn't read it prior to this interview, but I studied enough about it to, to, to garner the conversation, piqued my curiosity. and he just I just got it in the mail oh, two days ago, and I'm going through it. It's just so awesome. It's, I can tell this is going to be a go-to. For me, because it is, you know, you've heard me talk about love on this show. You've heard me talk about um, selfless leadership. It's sacrificial. And understanding how to communicate and, uh, and show appreciation at work and showing authentic appreciation is one of the key drivers of engagement. Everybody's talking about employee engagement and how it's lacking and everything else. Well, showing authentic appreciation shows uh, is one of the biggest drivers that moves the needle the most, if, and uh, this book is fascinating. And we talk about it, we talk about some of the tactics and the techniques to do that authentically and genuinely. We also talk about how to work in a toxic work environment. That's probably the number one question I've ever, I've received over the past seven years on this show, is what do you do when you find yourself in an organization that you love working in, but however the the department you're in or the The organization maybe as a whole has a a level of toxicity. We deep dive on that as well in this show. So it's a a value-packed show. You're really going to enjoy Dr. Paul White, and I appreciate you uh, joining in. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, RSM. They are the Outsource Marketing Team Specialists. What is that? Well, you probably are overwhelmed like I have been in this entrepreneurial journey on how to market. And let's face it, the way that we do marketing is changing exponentially. And my friends at RSM Marketing, they're on the, the cutting edge. They understand all the changes. They know what to do. They employ dozens of specialists, a whole team of experienced marketing directors that act as your outsourced marketing department. They work with small companies, small startups. They work with market leaders with thousands of employees. It doesn't matter what the size of your company is. You might want to consider working with RSM because the complexity of marketing is growing exponentially, like I said, and you don't want to hire and manage a large team of marketing professionals. I certainly couldn't do that with my small business here, with my consulting business. Outsourcing allows you to gain access to a full team of specialists with one flat monthly subscription rate, and that's the beauty of it. And this rate is often as low as the cost of a single marketing full-time employee. So if you want to learn more, schedule a meeting with my friend Mike Snyder, the managing partner at RSM. You can contact him directly. You can schedule a meeting. You can go to rsmconnect.com slash leadership, or you can go to the post on doseofleadership.com on this specific episode, and you can find the, the link to RSM marketing. You can schedule a direct meeting with them. And the good news is, mention Dose of Leadership and, you can get 5,000 in additional outsourced marketing department services. It's for new subscribers only, but go check them out. It's a great deal, and they can answer almost all of your marketing leads. That's RSM Marketing, rsmconnect.com slash Leadership to learn more. All right, thanks for tuning in. Now let's join the conversation with Dr. Paul White, the author of The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. Dr. White, what an honor to have you on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Richard. I'm glad to uh, be here and uh, participate with you.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited to know that we live in the same hometown. I know we're doing this remotely, but uh, I'm always excited to meet somebody who's passionate about uh, the similar things, and things we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. So uh, I look forward to to keeping in touch. Uh, So tell me a little bit more. Are
1: you a Wichita native? I grew up in uh, Lawrence, outside Kansas City, and then... uh, uh, went to school in Chicago in the West suburbs, a small school called Wheaton College, and then lived in Phoenix for a while in Atlanta, and then been here 25 plus years. So uh, uh, almost a native, but not exactly.
0: Yeah. So how did you get, how did you end up this being your passion, your line of work?
1: So I, I'm a psychologist by training, and over the years I've worked with families in a variety of settings, but I grew up in the context of a family-owned business, and um, a number of years ago, some friends of mine that were business consultants kept running into family issues because 85% of all the companies in the U.S. are family-owned, including Fortune 500 ones, and um, they knew about my background and asked me to to help out, and initially, it just started being, you know, helping a dad and a son or two siblings get along or whatever, but it moved pretty quickly into business succession planning, which is a key issue for family businesses, and uh, helping deal with the family relational side of things. And in the midst of that, um, I was working with a uh, uh, highway construction um, uh, company and the, uh, the CEO and the, and the, the patriarch, uh, I asked him, you know, how are things going on this succession plan? He said, it's going well, I think my son's stepping up and uh, it's gonna work. I go across the hall and I ask the son some question and he says, this is a disaster. (laughs) It's never (laughs) going to work. I can't ever, you know, please my dad. And uh, my wife and I had been reading a book called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Chapman. And uh, it's, you know, personal relationship uh, book and found it really helpful. And I thought, I wonder if those concepts might uh, help in, you know, work relationships. So I pursued Dr. Chapman uh, for uh, over a year. His assistant did a good job of sort of screening me out for a while. Uh, but um, pitched the idea to him when he was here speaking at a conference and uh, we agreed to work together on applying the, the five languages to work and um, Came out with the book uh, in, uh, The five languages of appreciation in the workplace and it came out originally in 2011 um, Rewrote it and came out again in 2019. We've been fortunate enough uh, That it's sold 425,000 copies. Uh, you know the average business book sells about 3,000 copies. So we're above that. And we're actually selling about a thousand a week online, uh, which pales in comparison to the five love languages, which has sold eighteen million copies.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Anyway, sort of came in the side door that way. And really, the, the goal is to try to help people learn how to communicate uh, authentic appreciation in ways that are meaningful rather than sort of. Going through the motions, employee
0: recognition stuff. I love the intentionality behind that. I agree with you hundred percent. And I guess intuitively or instinctively, I would think I'm sure you probably found that. Like, oh, hey, I wonder if this is similar to the, the love languages. I'm I'm sure you found that to be the case. Obviously, you wrote a book about it. I would imagine it, on the surface, it makes sense to me that we all uh, receive appreciation in different ways based on our backgrounds and our personalities. So, t- so talk to me a little bit about that.
1: I mean, and that's a, sort of a core concept. I mean, that not everybody feels appreciated in the same way. And most people intellectually assent to that. But in actuality, we tend to do the same one or two things for everybody, uh, partly because we don't know what else to do. Yeah. And so a large part of what we've done uh, is uh, help be able to educate and train people in, in different ways. And so we have the five languages. We developed an online assessment that goes with our book and. Uh, It's in, I don't know, five languages. It had 215,000 people take it worldwide. Um, We found that not only the language, and the five languages are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and even physical touch, and we can talk about that, but that you also need to know the specific actions within the language. So say, for example, quality time. Uh, In the past, people would want time with their supervisor to be able to talk or share ideas or learn more and more with younger workers. They're not as interested in that as having uh, quality time with their colleagues.
0: Hmm, interesting.
1: And, and, you know, hanging out uh, over lunch or going out afterwards. And so and in the inventory, we uh, created a sort of a process where once you identify your primary language of appreciation, then you get a, a list of 20 to 25 items of what's that look like. And, and for example, could go to work and uh, I'm sorry, go to lunch and talk about work go to lunch and not talk about work you know get together and watch sports and then identify the people whether it's your supervisor or your colleagues your direct report or anybody that you want to do that with so the more specific then uh you don't have to sort of guess and just do the same thing for everybody and, and that's I think that's proved uh, to be effective
0: well it makes sense you know when we look at at you know I'm passionate about creating these positive cultures and um you know in the the 18 to 20 years i've been in the corporate arena in the 10 years i was in the marine corps i saw a lot of things the marine corps i always go back to it because it was a, a very culture intensive organization or at least there's a lot of intentionality behind the culture and wow. i and i contend that that's why i had such a positive experience there because i felt like i was part and i was i was part of something bigger than myself and the, and the marine corps uh from a marketing from a leadership intentionality aspect they drum that into you that you are part of something unique and special this isn't about you and i contend that i think that to me is a starting point or at least maybe maybe even be the secret sauce to creating this this positive culture or at least a culture that that where where people feel engaged and feel like they're they're contributing and doing something what do you think about when you hear me say that
1: yeah i i would agree and I, i mean uh i I think you know employee engagement? Uh, I just wrote an article that uh, I think people sort of uh, unwisely chase employee engagement, thinking it's sort of this magic thing. When in actuality, it's the result that happens of a number of different behaviors and yeah. uh, things that happen. And one of them is helping people see how what they do ties to the bigger picture. I remember in my dad's company, which was a manufacturing firm, they made like point of purchase displays for Hallmark or whatever and you know the jobs a lot of them were fairly low low young factory floor you know working at the end of a conveyor belt or glue and stuff or whatever but he intentionally would help people see what the final product was and what it looked like in the store with product in it and that kind of stuff to tie why you need to do this right so that you know it comes out right and and i think that's true today too that people need to have that sense of why is what i'm doing important and fortunately for me i mean my my team is jazzed because you know, our mission is about uh, helping improve workplace relationships and cultures. And, you know, they just are jazzed about being able to help thousands of people you know, daily work life uh, improve. So so that's pretty cool. I think the other part that we found, you know, in Gallup, the Gallup organization a lot of research about employee engagement. And they found that, you know, appreciation, team members feeling valued and appreciated is a, a key concept. And in the... Employee engagement surveys that a lot of companies use, there's usually an item about appreciation or recognition. And lots of times people come to us because they can get other things to move, whether that's communication or decision-making or tied to the mission, but they can't figure out the appreciation piece. And so uh, we've been fortunate to work with both small companies, we're working with several multinationals, every branch of the military, government, schools, all that. Uh, because it, it's it's not conceptually difficult, but there's some, like anything, you know, it it takes some uh, wisdom of knowing what to do and what not to and, and focusing on the right thing.
0: Yeah, I love that you brought, you, you put it that way, because I, I, I think back to the, and sometimes I think we make it way harder than we need to, I think back of some of the more meaningful interactions I've had in my in my career, and it's been the post-it note from the CEO as he was walking out the door and he missed me, so he left a you know he missed talking to me in person, so he left a note on my computer screen that, that was just hey, I just wanted to I stopped by missed missed you, just wanted to thank you for X Y and Z. I really appreciate you going the extra mile. Keep it up. And that meant more to me than any kind of chotsky that you'd get out of the yeah. you know the little. <laughs> A pen or the the koozie or whatever from the, the company store, you know?
1: Well, and I think a key part of what you said is, you know, so words of affirmation are, are one of the five languages of appreciation. And actually in our research with over 200,000 people, yeah, that's the language that's most preferred by people. It's 46% of the, of the workforce, which is a big chunk, but it's less than half. So still over half want something else. But to be effective in giving to a compliment, It really needs to be personal and specific versus, hey, I'm glad you're a part of the team or way to go. Good job. But say, you know, uh, Richard, man, I really appreciate your uh, consistently getting things done in on time to me. That allows me to, you know, push things forward to my supervisor. And, um, you know, the more specific you can be, really, the more meaningful, because otherwise it's one of the complaints we have. uh, We hear about employee recognition activities just that they feel pretty impersonal and, you know, not genuine.
0: Yeah. It's a gift card from Applebee's and, or right. $5 corporate bucks at the company store. You know what I mean? I mean, those are the things like, eh. or you get, yeah. you get like an auto responder.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's like your birthday and, you know, happy birthday kind of thing. And interestingly, you mentioned about the, the corporate store. So tangible gifts is one of the languages. And in our model, that's not compensation. and some bonuses, raises. It's just small things that are showing you get to know one another. And it's actually, you know, only 6% of the workforce want that as their primary language. Now gifts can be meaningful with one of the other languages, but again, it's about uh, being at the personal level. So everybody, a gift card from Amazon or wherever really doesn't get it. It's more about bringing in their, you know, favorite Starbucks coffee, or when you order pizza, you make sure you get the kind that they like. Uh, or maybe, you know, they're training for a, a half marathon and, and you, you stop and, you know, it's a grocery store and pick up a running magazine on stretching or something and say, hey, I know you work on this site. You might be interested. It, it, it's a, in in this case, it really is the thought that counts. If it, if if it's not about them, it, it doesn't have too much meaning.
0: Yeah, well said. I mean, it has to be. And that's where the I think that's where we get stressed because we don't know. I mean sometimes it's even more it's difficult to buy things even for your spouse like what do you know what do, what's meaningful to them and so I think we overthink it but you're right but that that shows you the, the kind of the hard work that's behind leadership I do contend that um one the prime as you particularly as you move up in in the organization and your accountability and your responsibility becomes you know at that upper echelon that almost becomes your primary role is to communicate and to recognize in an authentic way, the high performers. I think that becomes the number one job, and I think a lot of times we, I mean, obviously strategy and everything else is in there, but I do think the primary job, particularly the CEO and and that upper staff, is to communicate where the ship is going, why it's going that way. That way, if and if you do it effectively, then the key stakeholders start to and they see how their roles. Like your father did, pointing out to the person, hey, well, the way you're doing this, this is the bigger picture. This is why this is important. And you know how you contribute to that. That makes you engage. And then I think the authentic recognition, those are the three key, key drivers. And I think if if the senior leaders focus on that, I think that's where you're going to see the most impact on the culture. What do you think?
1: Well, let me expand on that a little bit because clearly uh, I think recognition for performance is important and and that drives a lot of people. But what we found is that most recognition for performance activities tend to hit the top 10 to 15% of a work group um, and sort of repeatedly the same ones. But, you know, on a team, whether that's at work or sports, whatever, you got a big solid middle group of sort of blockers and tacklers who aren't your stars, but they show up every day. They do the best they can. And if they don't, here's something one of the stats we know is that 79 percent of the people who leave work voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation as one of the main reasons they're leaving most business leaders and owners think people leave for more money and more money may be part of the case but that's not what cost them to leave typically usually it's one of those other issues including not feeling valued and so we really believe that sort of appreciation being able to communicate appreciation for people Team members who aren't always the high performers is critical because, you you know, you, can't, you can not you have stars, but if you don't have the solid group behind them, you're not going very far, you know. And so we sort of see it as a end and that's um, really filling in the gaps for those people um, who are trying their best. And, and you can you don't have to be um, a star to to be valued. Right. Uh, most right. of us are average, you know, by definition. And so uh, being able to provide a way to help leaders. And and here's the other concept that's been important is when we started out, we did focus on showing appreciation to managers and supervisors. But fairly quickly, we got feedback that, hey, I want to be able to encourage or show appreciation to my colleagues or that hearing that from my colleagues is important. So we've really switched. It's not just a top down kind of thing, but it's yes, you want to hear that from your supervisor, but also teaching team members how to communicate appreciation to one another. And two things happen. One is when you're having a bad day, who knows first? I mean, it's your it's your colleague, right? Secondly, it really relieves the pressure from a manager or supervisor to have to do it all by themselves. And so to be able to train them and, you know, sort of empower them uh, to be able to do that, it, it really sort of sings the song quite well.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about some of that, to- the, you know, working in a toxic environment. It, you know, it's amazing I don't know if it's epidemic, but it seems like everywhere I turn, there's organizations, there's a level of toxicity in there. Right. And I guess it's because we're human beings and human beings are, we're, we're fragile, selfish pigs on the surface. I, I know I am even, and I have to work at it, right? Not being one. Yep. And I think if we're honest, most of us have to work at it too. But why is, why is there such a level of toxicity and such a gap between a uh, leadership and, um, frontline management or frontline workers. I mean, it, it, it's just inherent everywhere I've gone, everywhere I've coached, everywhere I've worked. It It's there in almost every organization. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think there's multiple reasons, but I think I'm, I'm, a key one is that in a lot of ways, um, we've come through a period where we've lost sight that our employees are people. Right. We view them as production units, um, you know, or um, machines. And so we treat them that way as, as a cat, you know, capital, you know, um, and a resource to be used. And when that happens, man, it just, it goes south real fast because then what happens is they are there for your use and purpose. Um, and, and I think one of the sort of healing steps that can happen in an organization and not organization, but individually for each person is to, Start to stop and think you know this person Or this colleague or employee is a person they have a life outside of work that affects work Uh, They have characteristics that are valuable even that aren't related to production In the sense of I like to work with cheerful people rather than grumbly people, you know, a, a grumbling You know star is less valuable to me than you know, sort of a cheerful, you know, good worker. Um, and so being able to get back to sort of the personhood of things. And wh- what happens is we become overly goal focused where everything has to go towards this goal. And usually right. it's defined very narrowly. Uh, I mean, if if your goal is to, you know, serve your clients well, as well as your, you know, uh, employees and all that, that's one thing, but usually it's, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, production target or sales target, whatever. And then everything has to move towards that. And then you start taking out the things that have to do with, you know, daily life. You
0: know, it, it's definitely the byproduct of that whole Frederick Winslow Taylor, you know, scientific management theory. I think we still, hundred and some years later, are seeing the byproducts of that, right? And even yeah. though in the 50s with Drucker kind of debunking all of that and, you there there's a there's a place for that you know for assembly lines and everything else but at the same time you know if we look at people who have cogs in the machine we're already behind the curve right yeah exactly yeah so what do we do i mean if we find ourselves i get this question a lot and i've i've i have my theory and opinion and I'll, I'll hold it until i hear yours what do we do when we find ourselves in the middle of this organization we love working there. We love the work. We love the job. But man, the people around us—maybe the boss, maybe the, maybe even the CEO—they just don't get it. There's a level of toxicity, or a level of dysfunction, or just a level not—they just don't get it. What what can we do? Because we can certainly seem powerless when we're in the middle and below.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I, I you know, and. I, I, wrote a book, uh, uh, it's called Rising Above a Toxic Workplace and, um, and then I've developed training materials to help people understand what creates a toxic workplace and how to survive it. And I, I think two key parts are, first of all, you have to take care of yourself because nobody else is going to. Um, and so you have to monitor, how am I doing physically? How am I doing mentally and emotionally? Am I not sleeping well because I'm all, you know, just tied up inside about all of this? Uh, because, man, loss of sleep, you know, as well as I mean, over the long term, that, that will, you know, create major problems for you um, in a lot of different ways. And so I think we have to understand that, you know, I am an important. I am an important resource I need to manage <laughs> versus just everything else. And um, and not by the fact that, you know, the organization Needs me and you know can't survive without me. Let me tell you what the the organization does a really good job of learning how to survive without people. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, you may be good and important, but you know they'll figure it out. And so if and some organizations will take everything you've got and eat you up and consume you and spit you out and you know thanks for what you gave us and you know have a nice day. And so. You've got to have that sort of self-preservation part. Uh, but then the other part is to start where you are, that we each have you know, numerous relationships on a day-to-day basis. And typically, I mean, there are some people that can really change an organization, but most of us need to start with our daily life areas of influence and either change how we're relating to them or coming together and working together In a more collaborative way supportive way um and i've seen organizations change that way i mean we worked with miller cores with started with 35 uh sort of junior leaders and took our appreciation stuff and it went across the whole country all uh, across all the different um um, manufacturing plants and so forth and so you start where you are and, and do that and at the same time you know take a realistic sense of don't let the company or somebody Take more than
0: what they should. I love that, and I I can't agree with you more. I mean, it's um, I contend that we don't realize how much influence we have wherever we're at. Doesn't matter the position, or title. We have way more influence than we give ourselves credit for. Yep. Particularly if we have a team. I mean, so even if you've got three or four, five people, you got a small team. If you think about it, and they report directly to you, you. You are the only. You're the main person in the organization that has the most influence over those three, four, or five.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And I think a lot of times, middle managers or supervisors, they don't realize the power of that. You know, because it's easy to get caught up with. Oh well, this company'd be great if the VP wasn't doing this or the CEO wasn't doing this or it's different. Yeah, it's all good yeah. and well, but
1: start- I think we have a, a, a viewpoint of culture, whether that's culture at large or workplace culture as being external to us. Yeah. Whereas we are part, culture is largely the, the the aggregate of thousands of interactions between hundreds to thousands of people. And you change those at an individual level. It, it can change the, you know, the tide, if you will. And on the positive side, what we found for appreciation and uh, appreciation at work is that, you don't have to be at the top of the organization to start and to make a difference. We in fact rarely do we go in and do a top down kind of implementation. Usually we found some leader that's found our stuff, they like it, and they start to use it with their team and then there's a you know, another team that sees or hears about it or their supervisor and it just sort of grows organically. Yes. Out. And so um, I'd really encourage people to to think about that just what what can I do and, and with whom can I start?
0: I love that. And I think, you know, even expanding on that thought, you know, begin where you're at. I really do think if people understand that almost every organization where thing really, the things where it really happens or the engine of everything really is the middle and below. And I think a lot of real leadership in any organization really starts and ends there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes it easier. Leadership does start at the top and it certainly can make it f- for uh, if you got somebody at the top who fully gets it and fully understands it, certainly makes it that much easier. But surprisingly, a lot of things can get done even if it is a little bit dysfunctional or toxic at the top. I've seen that. I've worked in organizations where we had that. Oh, you know, okay, that's fine. that's how it is, but we're still going to get it done because we believe in what we're trying to accomplish and why. Right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I uh, early in my career, I uh, worked for um, a social service agency for the state of Arizona, and it was, it was, and still is, as far as I know, a very dysfunctional system. But we had a supervisor, who he was sort of our protector. I mean, he, yeah. said, we're gonna do it different, and he would take heat from. The, he was like a heat shield. Man. He <laughs> could take the heat from the top, but he said, "This is how we're doing." And we had a good, functional, supportive unit. You step outside of our area and you could get crushed, but, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, you start somewhere. And uh, I, I agree, it, you don't have to change the whole thing. And I guess I'd uh, my approach and, and our approach is to be very practical. And so uh, we have created a lot of different kinds of reasons. We have books and videos and, and you know, podcasts and, and assessment tools, training stuff that, there's sort of a mothership that everybody can go. It's just called appreciation at work.com. And it's the word app, but appreciation at work.com. And we have both resources about uh, how to communicate the five languages of appreciation to your team, but also about toxic workplaces and how to survive them.
0: I love that. I mean, I think that you know, we've all been there, right? And and some benefits can happen from that. You know, like you said, I love how you said you can get crushed on the outside side of it. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I contend that if you do want to change, like you said, number one, realize that you're part of the culture and that you can have an impact on it. And I contend, no matter where you're in the organization, if you really want to change the culture, you have one whether you like it or not. But if you want to be intentional about it and change it to the positive, you don't need to get everybody on board. I think you only need just a handful. I've seen this firsthand. You just get a handful of, of super fans or super ambassadors and you can make a significant change.
1: Absolutely. And, and it, I mean, people want their lives to be better, right? Right, I mean, we've got an an intrinsic motivation that they don't want to live in this negative, toxic, condescending, you know, critical kind of environment. Now they, they may participate. And actually when I, I tell people what, if they find themselves in a toxic environment, you know, surrounded by, there's two steps you can take. One is don't contribute to the negative. Right. If people are critical or, you know, grumbling just you don't have to call them out just you say hey I'll catch you all later just don't add the fuel to the fire and secondly it seems like any kind of positive comment it doesn't have to be about the situation really sort of dampens and throws water on the fire. I mean that you can say you know hey how about the cheese man they hung in there and won or you say what a beautiful day you know it's it's I love this time of year. It doesn't have to be about work it doesn't have to be about somebody else. Sometimes just turning it to the positive can really sort of put a stop to you know that sort of wildfire that's going to go uh, go crazy. That's
0: great advice, but it's so seductive, isn't it? To sit around the water cooler and bitch about it—it's so, <laughs> it's so fun and therapeutic on the surface, it seems, right? And but it it but it contributes to so much of the negative. It's funny. Last uh, two weekends ago, I fly for American. I was with um, we were sitting in Shanghai at breakfast, and I was. And it's easy when a large organization like what I work for, a Major Airlines, where you got a hundred and some thousand employees and it's such a massive organization, right? Yeah. And as you can imagine sitting in the cockpit, there's a lot of bitching that probably goes on, you know, and the contract, you know, and it's easy to get sucked into it. And I remember I was kind of sitting at breakfast with this, the other, my other first officer, you know, and he's pretty senior, been around, he's approaching 60. And I was starting to kind of do that, you know, complain a little bit. And he did what you just exactly said. He goes, yeah, he goes, but think about we're the largest airline in the world. And think about how all the things that go right, the efficiencies, we're the most efficient organization on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he put yeah, in that perspective. And, a
1: lot and, and, you know, and things go wrong, but you stop and think that, you know, I get from Wichita to wherever it is, you know, Grand uh, Rapids, Michigan, you know, in four hours or something from point to point with my luggage, you know, and it's like, wow, how's that happen? You know, exactly. I mean, obviously the distances can get longer and it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and, and really you can sit around and moan and groan about the stuff, but and it's okay to identify problems, but sure. it, only if you're figuring out ways to what you can do to make it better or to uh, sort of do risk management around. It. I mean, you know, I get delays, so I, I bring work with me so it doesn't feel like I'm wasting time. I'm just, doing it a different way in time than i initially planned you
0: know? i guess the lesson for me was he he like you said put the cold water on it and he made me look at it and i'm like hey you know what you're right i mean there's a lot of good good he says yeah he goes well you know it's just kind of looking at it a little bit differently it wasn't that he was sugarcoating anything he was just trying to
1: yeah probably any the- stuff guns it you know what a great day wonderful day isn't everything wonderful you know i mean yeah maybe but most of of life is pretty average and it's got some problems and (laughs) we we don't need to sugarcoat it. Well,
0: I'm excited about, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here right now as we're talking, I'm looking at appreciation at work.com and you're right. Tons of resources for anybody out there to look at and ways to connect with you. What, how can people uh, connect with you and learn more about you? I mean, what do do you specialize in?
1: Well, um, right now, really, I am focused on helping uh, basically, what we call, say, make work relationships work. Uh, that it's how to help people move their workplace relationships uh, into a, a healthier, more positive uh, zone, if you will. And whether that's taking out the negative, you know, and working on that side or building the positive, uh, that's what I'm about. And I go and speak and do training for, you know, uh, on site management teams. I, and then we have resources that we've created. Because I grew up professionally in the not-for-profit and social service world where they don't have money for big trainers. And so we created an online train-the-trainer course that can has, you know, four 10-minute videos, a facilitator's guide, handouts, PowerPoints, follow-up emails that somebody can just take it and run with it within their organization. And so um, we'd love to, to be a resource. And, yeah, either admin at appreciation at work, and you can write, you know, to me directly, and they'll get it to me. Um, or if you have any questions, but uh, that's the best way to to start
0: out. And of course the book, I'm assuming you can get it everywhere at all where books are sold with Amazon five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Um, If it's anything like this conversation with you, I'm sure it's full of common sense, practical advice. Uh, I'm definitely going to pick this up. I didn't get a chance to read this before we scheduled this interview, but I I'm looking forward to this because I think I agree with you that this, if we can learn Particularly as from a from leadership standpoint, if I'm going to stretch my leadership muscle, I got to learn how to. There's not just one way to communicate with our folks, and I think that to me, that has always been my biggest struggle, my biggest challenge as a leader is figuring out how to tailor my communication style for the different types of people I work with. You know, I've certainly it's taken me a long time to kind of figure that out. That not everybody uh, listens the same way, feels appreciation the same way.
1: Yeah. And when I'm talking to young leaders, I say, hey, if you can't learn, if you don't learn how to lead people who are different than you, that really limits your ability to lead. Because then you have a bunch of little mini yous following you around and you may be great and good, but you need to have different kinds of people, skill sets, personalities on your team. And and I think that's an issue in our culture, a sort of perspective taking, understanding that people are different and it's okay in meeting them where they are. So that we can communicate effectively.
0: What's next for you? What are you excited about? What are you looking forward to with the for everything you do in appreciation at work? Anything new on the horizon?
1: Yeah, you know, we're in. Uh, we started out with small companies and schools and medical offices and all that, and we now have some major companies. I mean, Exxon mobile and uh, Caterpillar and John Deere and uh, Centers for Disease Control and all different kinds of bigger opportunities where they want to take our materials and help sort of apply it to their context and and even translate it into I mean our books in 20 languages now but take our training materials and, and translate it into Thai and Chinese and Portuguese and so figuring out how to to do that in a way that's effective because I'm not a corporate guy and I partly I because my choice I don't like that kind of uh, you know, sort of setting. And so figuring out how to make it work in that kind of culture, it, it's going to be a, a growth area for me.
0: Well, I have love this. I love this conversation. I am encouraging all my listeners to check out appreciationatwork.com. Check out The Five Language of Appreciation in the Workplace, a book by Dr. Paul White and his co-author, Gary Chapman. Dr. White, so honored to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: My pleasure, Richard. I, I look forward to meeting you in person and, and hopefully we can uh, continue to collaborate in the future.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thank you. You bet. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dose of Leadership. I do appreciate your support. If you could do a couple things for me, go subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast app. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you could do that for me, I would truly appreciate it. Also, if you're interested in working with me, if you're interested in some team leadership training, go to doseofleadership.com and check out Legacy Leader Blueprint. I understand how difficult it can be to get effective leadership training for your team. It never seems like you have the time or the budget. My course, Legacy Leader Blueprint, solves that problem. Quality leadership training that doesn't disrupt your busy schedule or break your budget. 20 high-impact videos and 6 hours of live group coaching with me that will allow you and your team to become true leaders of influence. I will teach you how to defeat mediocrity and stagnation, create high-impact cultures of initiative, and build empowered teams with high degrees of trust.
1: Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price of participation vary. Terms apply.
0: Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at
1: amfam.com.